Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the podcast, guys. And today, it's just me and Jack. And the reason why it's just me and Jack is the other day we were on the phone. And uh, we ended up like, it, it was one of those mammoth sessions, which was like, went on for like two, three hours, right? Again. Yeah. And we were mainly just talking about watch collecting, just pure watch collecting, no gossip, just watch collecting. And Jack suddenly said, oh, you know what? That would have just made such a great episode. And thankfully, that phone call would have gone on for probably an extra two hours if I hadn't had to go. So I think we just can continue the conversation and, and see see how this episode goes. Um, but the main conversation was how has my taste or what have I, what I wanted in or what I'm seeking in my watch collection now? So I'm just going to kickstart it. I'm saying, you know, for a very long time now, and people that have been following the podcast, they will have noticed that what I've wanted and kind of now where I want to go to is probably like taking a huge transition. And maybe that's because I've met so many collectors and how they've collected and how they've hold themselves or what they've enlightened me on has really changed my taste. Actually, Jack, you're actually one of those people because before everybody was going on about, oh, have you checked a dose of times like uh, IG, you know, her IG account. They used to go on it and I thought, yeah, it's pretty impressive. But it never kind of like, I never got like how you collected. Obviously, people were going crazy about pieces and some of the pieces you collect are rare, super rare. But rarity isn't, that's not enough. You know, there's lots of things which are rare. But then I started to really, um, yeah, understand the way you collect. And your photography didn't help either. It just made me really gravitate to your taste. And finally, I feel really settled, you know, in my watch collection in the way that I feel it represents me. And now I look back and think maybe the pieces I was going for, whether I'd like to admit it at the time or not, a large element of that was to impress other people, actually. Yeah. How about you? So I'll, I'll I'll um give a little like context to uh what you just said. So basically when Dan and I were having the phone call and he were talking about the direction that we'd like to move forward with our own collections and he said some I mean you said something and you um that really surprised me because I mean well you you said that when I look at my box now I'm just happy and when I heard that I felt wow I I didn't hear you say that for a long time and your collection hasn't changed and I mean you've added a few pieces but I think it's your mental process and the way you think of collecting has changed and the pieces that you used to own and still own Maybe you look at them in a different light now and how they fit in your life. And I was telling you how I really um, hope that I feel the same as 
the way that you do now, because um, for myself, a lot of the pieces that I own and owned previously, I'm just in a place where I'm trying to find meaning of those pieces and how they fit in my life. Because I think I'm going in a minimal route since earlier last year. Over COVID, I was buying and buying nonstop. But I think the joy, and it has brought me a lot of joy, um, but the joy that that has brought me has subsided. And now I'm more focused than than ever to um, just, you know, find those very few or specific pieces that really fit different roles uh, in my life. And I, I'm not there yet, I don't think. And that's what we were talking about for the whole like three hours last week. Yeah, I think also, I think it's also where I am in my life. I felt like I know more about myself. Yeah. And I think that's part yeah. of the joy that's been reflected in like my, my, my watch collecting. Yeah. Some of those pieces haven't changed, but maybe how I interpret them have it have changed. The, yeah. the, let's say, just say the data graph, right. Is a piece that has followed me, um, pretty much like through all my watch, uh, career as I mean, when I say career, I mean, not just a watch collecting journey when I decided to perhaps take watch collecting a bit more seriously and did extra things such as like establishing a, a watch club and then like doing a podcast and then doing like watch festivals and stuff like that. So that was an integral part of, um, of that journey. And I look at that so fondly, you know, because that watch, the reason why I bought that watch was because Langer sponsored, um, were the biggest sponsor of the first Shanghai Watch Festival. And like many people along this journey, they just took a punt on us, right? And when I say us, I, you know, me is included in that. So I'm very thankful for when I look back at all the people that there was nothing in it for them. They just maybe want to support the next generation or just maybe, you know, my passion shone through and they just try to help in their way that they could. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's why that piece will always stay. Even if it was a piece, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty timeless anyway, let's be honest. So it's not like a piece that I feel, oh, I'll get bored of. And if I was to get bored of, I think it would have happened already right um but yeah it just has so many memories like of let's say finishing that first shanghai watch festival and looking at my co-partners and just realizing that we had done something you know might have been small but it was very significant to all of our lives mm. if you look at uh, shanghai watch gang you know austin has gone on to do great things with wrist check you know, Andy Jang, um, early member, he was like, he's the CEO of Watchbox now. And he spent some time at Langer and even at Philips. I'm at Philips now. Mm. Um, so we all used it 
it all started somewhere and it all started uh-huh. from that moment um so yeah it's all kind of encapsulated by the data graph and then that's so nice you know i've got a <laughs> i've then well, like because you can pinpoint to, you can you can pinpoint uh, like exactly where was the start of this new career for you and you remember that they were a big supporter of the event and and you look back and it just it just brings you back what like almost 10 years like nine years ago yeah wow that, that time does fly yeah um yeah. and that piece right do you know what when i look at it really deeply yeah i think we all know <clears throat> That the data graph is arguably one of the best chronographs ever made. It's an iconic model with perhaps like the most amazing movement. The pushers feel amazing. You know, uh, was a, a Kickstarter for you know Paddock to develop their own in-house you know chronograph. Um, but if you were just to look at it, it's so understated, you know. And I do think it's like a lesson in life that. No matter how good you really are, it's important just to be humble and discreet and has all those signifiers in a watch, you know. Maybe I'm looking for it, looking for those things to signify. But I, I do think that piece that is a is a reminder, you know, when I wear that watch, how I should be behaving. When I say that, I mean what kind of standard I should mm. like live my life to. Mm. Uh another piece that is very dear to me is actually, you know, the reverse of dual time in steel uh the 1931 series um and that piece is special to me because it reminds me of uh watch mad mac you know angus you know and uh i've really admired how you know he's behaved uh and you know contributed to the watch community and how he's just it's just someone i look at look up to and I would want to emulate, you know, in lots of different places. And I know he's going to cringe if he, if well, when he hears this, because he's such a big supporter of this podcast, but it reminds me again, it's a reminder on the wrist, but even if you mm. just look at the watch itself, every long through this journey, right? There's been so much hype with like Nautilus and then like Royal Oaks and enamel dials, like world timers and there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful like watchmaking, right? But to have something simple, and we we all know like a simple three-hander, how difficult that is to make. And but the reverso, oh, it's really hard to find fault in that design and, and have something work on the wrist so well. It's so well poised, right? And I think is the best in its most original form. No, 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 like moon phases, no open skeleton tourbillon, um, none of this stuff, just in its original form. And it's a piece where, you know, I love because of how flexible it is. And I can wear that to see clients. I can wear that anywhere. And it's very rare I'll meet anybody that is one even wearing a reverso and is even wearing the same piece, right? And um, 
again has that element of uh, discreetness and I, I love that and then uh, other stuff I've got now uh, my Mavados and I've I've like you to thank you for that but what makes me happy when I see them alongside those two other pieces is that there is like a thread going in between them you know there's like in terms of taste in terms of what I'm trying to portray um, with the Movados, it's gone more down the vintage route. Yeah. Mm. But I've always been a fan of like the triple calendar design. Mm. I love the triple calendar design. I've always loved the, you know, Omega cosmic, you know, moon phase. I think yeah. that's great as well. Um, the Movado for me takes it because of the case design. I love the, uh, the lugs on it. Um, Francois Bourgeois case. Yeah, there's just nothing really to complain about that. But first touching those vintage pieces and, and putting them on and really understanding, I guess, it's my entry point into vintage watches and the timelessness. Um, and the fact, you know what, Jack? You know, for Movado, for people, Movado isn't like a mainstream brand anymore, right? And it's not like, you know, a Patek you know, with that such brand power, but I feel so happy wearing it. Mm. You know, I feel like to me, it is a Patek, you know, I love it. I just think it's a great watch, great looking watch. And I'm, this sounds, I guess, kind of cringy, but I feel really proud that I can wear a watch, which has Movado on it and still feel the same joy as if it was a Patek. You, you know what I mean? Mm. Like oh, I know there's something internally inside you that you have to adjust to, to to maybe you know do you know what I mean to get that same enjoy enjoyment the way you view things has changed. Yeah. I don't know if that's coming across in the podcast. People understand that. I'm trying my best to explain it, but yeah. So, I I, I yeah. think again it takes time to understand not only know but actually really understand the specialness of how a lot of these non-paddock-signed watches from the same era had the same case makers, dial makers, hand makers as what paddock used. And it's one thing to, to say and explain to people because, look, uh, having wearing a watch that's non-paddock but the parts were made from the same manufacturer um, is one thing. And it's like a quirky thing when you're trying to explain to people and say, hey, actually, you know, it's almost like as if it's justifying your purchase, right? For other people, you're like, oh yeah, I paid one-tenth of the value of for this yeah. watch yeah. as I, you yeah. know, but it's the same yeah. quality. But it, it, it's like, a part of it is you're trying to justify, hey, I actually know my stuff, but I can... I can buy it and and at a lesser cost um, because it's the same. And it's another thing to say, yeah, actually, you know, this is a watch that was made by the same manufacturers that Paddock also used. And you know what? It doesn't really matter because dollar for dollar, this brings me as much enjoyment as um, what it would bring for um, if it were, if it said Paddock on it. And I think that takes time to, to 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 transition it's definitely needs a more seasoned and matured 
taste um, to to get there. So no, I I know I know what you're what you're saying. I, I, um, I, I do think just that this the past Oxford, weekend, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, no, go on. Yeah. No, I was gonna say like just this past weekend. I guess we can talk a little bit about the show because it 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 just ended. Um, actually, today is the last day. I was in the Miami antique. Miami Beach Antique Show, where it's like the biggest show in the U.S. for um, antiques and I wouldn't say watches, but there are quite a bit of watches there. And, you know, the quality of it, mostly vintage, actually. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll tie it to two ends of the conversation. One is there I saw many pieces that... A year ago, I think I would have bought because mm. it brought me um, enjoyment, but I didn't know what role it would have played in my collection. And this time going to the show and seeing the watches, so I didn't buy anything from the show and I was there for two and a half days and I went through the booths and the watches and I picked stuff out, but going back to what we were originally talking about, I think my timeline and approach to going forward with the curation has changed as in my threshold is really high now. I don't know if, if, you, if you feel the same way. And it, by, by meaning threshold, it, it doesn't mean oh i only get enjoyment out of like hundreds of thousands dollar um for for watches mm. it's not that it's what i'm looking for is really specific now and there are very few watches that i encountered at the show that checked maybe like if i'm looking for five things in a watch if it checks two it's not good enough it has to at least check four. Um, and that's just how my my mental process is with, with approaching. I think, I think what you're like, I think when I hear you speaking about that, I think I can find an analogy. It's like in the olden days where you saw the volume rocker and you on, even on a microphone now, you know, when you're recording, you see like the amplitude that how loud it's going, right? And it goes to green and it goes when it goes high, it goes super red, right? Yeah. Like to get to the high levels now you don't you have an idea what it could be but you're not even sure if it's going to hit the spot until you actually see the watch right and and see how you feel as, as you experience the watch therein right there yeah. um because now there's very few which can stimulate you in that kind of way mentally right um and i guess you see that's where I feel really happy with my collection, you know, because I, f I found myself. It's so weird. It's, it feels like how philosophical this like sounds. It must sound so weird. But I just found what represents me the best. And I'm re and I think the next thing is, yeah, is that not only that, I'm really comfortable with myself with it. I think that's part of it as well. Like I'm actually comfortable with myself. And what I'm what I'm trying to express. Yeah. How how would you 
try to explain that to someone who might not be as comfortable with themselves themselves right yeah now. sure like i certainly took my time right and just as i was talking about it and just as i was listening to you talk you know when you get watches you buy watches in right and there's some watches you go off them you're not actually like into them yeah but you don't sell them and there are some watches that you kind of dislike actually having in your collection right and you end mm. up like getting rid of it you have to get rid of it yeah because it's mm. it's having the adverse effect now when you mm. see it it makes you not happy let let, let alone neutral mm. and um I was just thinking, is it because when we look at that and you said it doesn't, you know, I, you said mentioned something earlier about, you know, a year ago, they would have been on my radar, but not anymore. Yeah. Mm. Whether as you're developing your watch journey and your own personality and finding yourself, what really annoys you is that you see that watch and it doesn't represent you at all. Right. And you think, mm. I can't keep that because I'm not that person anymore. And I actually dislike being that. Right. Um, so I wonder if that, that plays in the, in the psychology, uh, mm. you know, and if you factor in, I don't know, price rising or price depreciation, whatever, you know, suits you. And it just it seems right. Then obviously you can get rid of more watches, but uh, that certainly happened with me to the point where there are some watches that I really dislike to the point where I think, oh, do you know what? If I find the right person to give this a home to, I'll just give it away. <laughs> you know, I'll just give it away. I just don't want it in my collection anymore. And uh, then the rest, which are neutral, I kind of put into another watch box that I don't see. I don't see. Yeah. That I've kind of like not forgotten because I always know it's there, but I know those pieces aren't on the same level as this collection here right um and i just keep this collection in one box and the great thing is is finally while before i felt i was shooting in the dark on the next piece i would like next piece this piece you know this piece is beautiful this piece now I, you know i mentioned on the call which pieces that i know i'll be adding to the collection and you don't have to share it. It's like uh, the 5110P. Uh, I just saw it actually a couple of days ago. Tried it on again. Saw the guy wearing it. I thought it looked great on him. You know, for me, love the size, best size. I actually like the fact it's not enamel because it's less, it's more discreet. Uh, love the platinum because it's got the blue dial. Uh, and it's world timer, you know, been like paddock through and through basically one of the most iconic models right uh i just can't wait to add that collection hopefully you know maybe this year and then the uh paddock 96 you have a, a you know a good healthy appreciation of the paddock 96 and you've got a couple of great examples in your collection and i think with 96 no matter if you look at the later calatravas whether it's like the 3796 or uh i don't know 2445s or any type of color travel after you know it all started with the 96 you can't beat that history and people say oh you know you know the history doesn't matter well 
actually, I know to me, it does matter. You know, I, I would say to a lot of people, it matters because a lot of the pieces that are hot in auction have a great story and they, you know, the reason why, the reason why aside from rarity, they command the high prices is because they have the best story, you know, or a very engaging story. So yeah, definitely uh, whether a, a piece is iconic matters to me and doesn't get much more iconic than a 96 and uh you know i want to get a 96 which is a bit rarer than average maybe a double signature or like in steel or something like that so i know i'll be looking so i'm keeping my eye open um and then i want to go down continue down the reverso route because i just think it's so beautiful as, as a watch and I, I i just love wearing it um so different like yeah, I want to get the 1931 tribute. No, no real rush to get it right now because uh, it's not that hard to to find. Um, yeah, but in 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 back to your question, I would say it is about taking time. I think joining Phillips has changed my viewpoint because the amount of watches I went down into just increased even more. And I was with the with the collectors, you know, clients and people, you know, part of the team, just talking about watches all the time. I think that really helped to for me to find a direction. Yeah, I don't know what your experience is like, you know, now joining Phillips. So, I mean, as I was explaining to you on the call, my number of because I used to make a list for all the watches that I I saw myself owning one day or the collection that I wish to build and curate yet that number went down dramatically um, because a lot of the watches that were on the list Phillips actually has uh, in that were had in the sale and when you're able to handle them and catalog them and uh, gain an appreciation of them I learned that a lot of the pieces, you don't, the, the appreciation doesn't come with um, possessing it or like owning it. It comes as um, like a, like a, like a happy, optimistic um, bystander or audience of it from, from the sidelines or from afar, because it's beautiful, but it doesn't. It, it well, the the watch hasn't changed. Is how you, what you think about and how you think about it, or maybe I've changed. So after that list has gone down, it's really t and I'm still lost. That's why when we were having the conversation, I said, "Wow, when you told me that you look at your watch box and you're the ha you've never been happier." I'm not saying I'm not happy with my collection. It's I'm I'm looking for that meaning or that feeling of satisfaction. And Content. I'm trying to yeah, contentment. And I'm trying to get there. And I think I just need more time because I'm three and a half months in to um being a consultant. At Phillips is my I've never worked in industry before um, I mean like at least you've had the opportunity to have multiple 
watch festivals and meet a lot of industry people. I haven't had that. So um, I'm just trying to find my way through right now. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit lost. Not in the sense of what to buy or what to do with my current collection. I'm content in that sense. I'm more kind of just curious of what will happen down the road. And I don't know if that makes sense. Um, no, it is. It's interesting, right? Because if I look at my collection now, yeah, three years ago, I I would have said no way. You know, it's it's not going to be that. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's just not going to be that. And uh, I guess I go back to data graph. I guess the telltale sign was always there, like in how I want to be, want to be with my collection, because I, I could have bought any piece back then, right? Yeah. And yeah, I did mention that Lange came to the, you know, the uh, the festival. I could have picked any piece, right? And I just picked that. Yeah. I remember talking to my mom about it. Like, why? Because my mom was like, well, why don't you just get a Patek? You know? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, this chronograph, right? It's much more than it looks. And um, no, not many people know that. You know, maybe there was the signs were there, but I just wasn't fully paying attention to it. And the pieces that hit those notes, also, I hadn't become fully exposed to the way I have, you know, with uh, auction. With the watch club, right? It's very, especially in China, you're not really going to see much vintage stuff. It's always going to be like modern. And increasingly, you're seeing more modern, like neo vintage stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I admit there are some beautiful neo vintage pieces, but for me, I need the vintage stuff for it to really hit home. And yeah, but how is there any, are there any pieces that? Are... Mm. No, how would I describe what? How would you describe the current collecting scene you're seeing in in China in terms of categories? Um... Well, it's definitely progressing like through to uh I, I hope that brands are listening to this because I want to help obviously the brands, but the education level, the the way the collectors are progressing from a from a knowledge level is so fast. Right. So mm -hmm. I have collectors coming to me asking about Paul Newman Daytonas, right, to mm -hmm. collect within China. And that wasn't going to happen like five years ago. It it was mm. it was very very. I'm not saying you know never happened. I'm just saying it was a lot rarer. And for them to be asking me about like case numbers, stuff like information that you wouldn't know to ask if you hadn't spent a lot of time studying it, right? Mm -hmm. And then to even ask, you know, can you source a John Player special? You know, that's a million dollar watch, right? To spend on a vintage watch, that's a lot of money, and. Uh, that, that just wouldn't have happened. So it shows to me that the collectors are getting educated faster. I think when you look at why that's happened, first primary level watches, so watches being installed firsthand, Patek Philippe, for example, came into China market in 2005 in Shanghai. And in 2008, they opened the Beijing boutique. 
So mm. allow 10, 15 years of development to even establish a secondary market. You probably got a good healthy one happening about that time. So that leads yeah. us to about 2020, right? Mm. Factoring COVID where I think things were accelerated because people were cooped up at home and reading more information about watches and then having probably more outlets uh, selling neo-vintage watches initially. Yeah. Um, collectors have now, not only do I mean, you know, the secondary market's more established because just by the sheer number of pieces, but also the collectors now have had 10, 15 years of developing their taste, accumulating all that knowledge that brands have fed them and now have the confidence to say, well, just because a brand says it doesn't mean it's true. I, I have the confidence to find my own taste, find my direction, assert what is like a good watch. You know, I already have that knowledge now. And uh, now also the collectors I've come to like recognize, they're now not looking for what everybody has to show off. They're looking for stuff that they people don't have that where they can show off their knowledge on how rare mm. it is, who made the movement, was Daniel Roth involved? You know, little tidbits of information where they can express that, oh, I'm a little bit different from the average watch collector. You know, I'm a bit more seasoned. And uh, you're seeing a lot of that coming up. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot now, you know. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, and I'm not even talking about you would possibly expect that from collectors that have, like you, Jack, who have spent their formative years abroad or a good five years abroad. Now, I'm talking about locals that can't speak a lick of English, you know, appreciating these watches. Um, so rapidly progressing, the search for reliable information is super strong. Mm. Uh so I'm really happy that you know that's taken place because mainly because I guess I've got more friends now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, you definitely uh, have met more, uh, um, all different levels of collectors through, you know, your role. I'm just intrigued yeah. because I can remember even what two years ago, this demographic would have been so different. Um, than what you yeah. just said. Um, yeah. And I think China then is is finally catching up to what, you know, we're used to here in in Europe and in Japan. I think, I think the brand's right. I've kind of shot themselves a little bit in the foot because they've accelerated collectors going into the secondary and being comfortable to buy from there because they've made things really hard to get. Right. So the collectors, they don't know when they're going to get an AP. They don't know when they're going to get a Patek. Even Langer's on the act now. You know, you don't even know when you're going to get a Langer without bundling. People have kind of. Langer really oh, shot you know themselves what? in the foot. Like, the collectors now have said, oh, do you know what? Right. I'm probably never going to get one of those pieces at retail. Right. What else could I spend my money on? And they've looked at the secondary market for those pieces. Well, I can't afford it. A secondary market. Hmm. It only takes a few people to introduce you to near vintage Breguet or, you know, other pieces down the line. And then you're like, oh, no, this is also 
there is a group of people that I feel comfortable with that collecting this stuff. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And the the variation probably is the most one of the most attractive things that once you, I mean, like if you're just chasing the high pieces, you, inevitably you're just looking at Royal Oak and Nautilus, you know. And if that's your thing, you know, great, that's fine. But there's also so many watches beyond that, right? Yeah. So that that's the kind of exposure we're getting now in um in in China. And oh man, oh the amount of knowledge you need when I'm engaging like the collectors and clients. Really, they ask such interesting questions, which is good for me. I go home and I can research time and enjoy myself. But yeah. yeah, it's really a knowledge game now for sure. Which which it actually is has always been what vintage watches has been about in a way. You know, obviously you can see the design, people saw about like a smaller case size, but it's a game that you need knowledge, you know. So those for collectors that need that itch, that satisfaction of having that knowledge validation, it's 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 what resonates with them, right? Aside from just owning our oh, expensive watch, actually 15 years of collecting watches, modern pieces. I need more now, you know, you've kind of alluded to it in the way your collecting journey is right. That mental satisfaction you, you require now is changing. You're realizing that that's not quite what I'm looking for, you know, and maybe there is a segment that is going to be that mentally stimulating thing. You don't know how to find it. You don't know what it's going to be. And I guess that's the kind of where you feel lost because you don't know which direction to take. And I, it must be really difficult because you already know a crap ton anyway, Jack. And you've had so many experiences on pieces. So it must be a very, yeah, I wonder what it feels like. Does it feel like, do you feel like ever like you're coming to the end? Do you feel sad or anything like that? Um, no, I, I, I don't feel like I'm coming to an end because... I know there are so many things out there that I would can only dream of, you know, and, 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 but for me, that's, it's also limited to a few things and it's, it's vintage for me, it's vintage paddock. And I wouldn't even say vintage Cartier at the very, you know, very, very end. So that would be the end, but of all the big collectors uh, in vintage paddock, I don't think they see it as an end for them either. Um, and they already own so many of these museum-grade pieces. So for me, it's mm. exciting. What is... Um, what I've been having trouble with is, I think, finding ease. And I, if only like non-watch people heard the conversation we're having, they're like, oh, Big Wolf, like, come on. It's not... What, what are you even talking about? Right, so like first world problems. For for me, it's we don't need these things. Like we all know that, so it's just the mental um, adjustment of being at ease with the pace that I would like to set for myself. And I think a big part of that is I was so used to buying and buying, and buying throughout COVID, um, the years of COVID, and now I'm. Really, I'm so slow in my um, 
purchasing rate, but every time I buy something, it has to check what I'm my, what I'm looking for at that stage, and, and it's just getting harder. So maybe it's my um, my adjustment. Like I'm not used to that. Um, Can I ask, like, how, how, because you, you started your collection mainly in COVID time and your, most of your interactions were mainly online. So digital, um, do you like yearn to also find collectors like yourself that you can talk on the same wavelength? Absolutely. And I don't think, uh, also, um, closer in age, if I may add. Um, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, because uh, it's just easier. And I haven't found people closer in age to me have more experience than I do. I mean, the the, the young people that I've talked to, either they've, worked in the industry for way longer or um they've just been like their their parents have been collecting or their dad has been collecting and it's passed on to them so i yearn to find someone who's also started in covid and um can understand again the wavelength thing i've found a few in new york that i've known over instagram and we've since met up and it's been the nicest when you find people who just get you um by the way the age thing doesn't mean that you're not a part of it it's just like closer like in new york geographically <laughs> <laughs> i realize now don't how worry, that i wasn't taking it yeah i know yeah, don't take it don't take it don't take it personally yeah um but, uh... but it's uh, i wanted to say something it's it's how when I was at the show, again, all the big dealers, yeah, I mean, the biggest dealers were there, some of them. Um, but also there were a lot of antique and, and uh, you know, small, like, trading posts and people like that all over the world coming. And you couldn't have a conversation with them when it comes to watches because... They also sold jewelry, and most of the booths there sold jewelry. And I'm looking around, and there were some nice vintage Cartiers there um, amongst those those booths. But again, you ask yourself, is this, I mean, at least that was the question I, I was asking myself. Is this a watch I see myself owning for the next five plus years? Hmm. And I, whether it was the condition or the model or not original um, buckle or hands, it came down to one of those things that made me think, okay, I don't see myself owning it for more than five years. So I guess a way to make it easier for myself is just that if I don't see a piece that I see myself owning for long term, then it's not worth for me to buy. Versus during COVID, I was buying things regardless um, of that. It was just, I oh, I liked it. And I have to say, mm -hmm. the last thing, I after s starting at Philips and seeing more watches in person, 
there are a lot of watches um, that you see just coming in or with collector groups and gatherings that I never saw in person before. And if I had seen a listing of it online, I think I would have bought. But after seeing it in person, you can relate. You're like, yeah, it's nice, but I don't need it. I don't mm. need to own it. And it mm. makes me wonder how many watches that it I would not have bought if uh, during COVID if I only had saw all of them in person. Mm. Makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I think I'm really fortunate. I'm really, really fortunate because I, through the watch club, you know, I got to meet like many collectors who had some amazing pieces and were, were thankfully very happy to share their knowledge and, you know, information about the piece. Um, and then, you know, I've joined Philips and basically, yeah, you get to see a lot of watches, but all of that's being able to experience the watch watches without having to, to buy watches. And for the most part, you know, I appreciate that for many collectors, they actually have to keep paying and trading, keep paying and trading watches to get experience of watches, to find that journey. And mm. unfortunate, not just from the money side, but from the time wise, you know, because mm. the process of buying and trading what is not a fast process, right? Um, so I've managed to do that a lot quicker. And I'm I'm really happy in the fact that I've I did take my time and I didn't commit to anything. And now I feel mm. sure to part with my money and think, oh, that's what I want. And you know, just really assured now. Mm. Yeah. There are pieces, yeah. like you say, always beautiful when you see them, but you'll always take a look at them. Mm. But uh yeah, it probably never I will never own them, you know, not because I can't afford them, it just don't want to own them yeah 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 what's one watch that you always wanted to own but not anymore yeah you'll know this piece like a couple i guess i think i could put it out there you know the uh double balance yeah the double balance which i saw Again, in person, this Miami. Well, I just saw the ceramic one like a couple of days ago. <laughs> like I just posted it on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, but you didn't. But you didn't want the ceramic one. You wanted the steel. Yeah, one. I didn't want the ceramic one, but it, essentially it wears this. It's very similar. You know, obviously, the, it's black, and you know. But uh, there's a few reasons. It, you know, obviously, I was never given one by the brand, which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, second one is you know the movement's a bit small and. Uh, they do some clever like disguise on that and I probably still prefer mm -hmm. like uh, a movement that fits to the case uh, the third one is I think the watch is a bit thick now and I think it's a bit big big on me it's big yeah so I, mean, we, I think your wrist yeah. is slightly bigger than mine but when I was wearing it I was like I could never wear this. This is, it's huge. So, so I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that's one piece where I think size just rules me out. And uh, 
yeah like what what's that watch represent you know it it's a loud it's a it's a flash piece i have to say it's a flash piece and we always said to there's probably people on this podcast that have said you know what you always need a flash piece on on your you know for that kind of role and uh yeah well maybe i'd never play that role <laughs> you know what i mean yeah where i need that watch uh i think i spoke to you on the well on the call right uh i've said all these address watches but i do want to have like a sports watch i do see when you somewhat dress down a little bit i would like something with a bracelet um so which watch would i want right and i spent you know i looked at lots of sports watches you know the overseas never a fan um nautilus um have to admit it you know there's one point in my life i really wanted a nautilus royal oak which one uh which 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 one which which Ro- nautilus? Royal oak or nautilus uh well at the time it was a 5711 and then it went up to like oh actually i prefer the 5712 because you know i love the asymmetry which is kind of symmetric and you've got the moon phase which is beautiful gives you visual interest and then I went back to if I was to get one, a fifty-seven eleven, because of the purity of it, the purity of that dial. Uh, yeah, just being a time only uh, with date. No, sorry, with a date. And then uh, you know, I looked at the thirty-eight hundred, and the thing is, right? Yeah, it's a smaller case, but it's still a Nautilus, right? And it is it, it's actually irrelevant if it's smaller or bigger. Yeah, it's a Nautilus, and I don't want one. And then uh, the Royal Oak, um, I guess. Over, I guess over the yeah, over over like the years I've met you, Jack, the branding of uh, AP has gone through like roller coaster rides. You know how how I feel about it, right? And however those, that ride has gone, it it's not me anymore, and it's not kind of yeah, it's not me. So. That's a piece which I said no to. And then, you know, there was a also long phase where I was like pining over uh, the Panda, the Panda Daytona, right? Are you over that phase? Yeah, because I, I, I keep wearing it. And, uh, and I don't feel special wearing it. I don't feel happy wearing it. I feel why am I wearing it? If anything, I feel why am I wearing it? <laughs> yeah. And I just think, well, that's the crap feelings have when you wear a watch why am i wearing you you know um says nothing about me i think doesn't have the level of refinement actually i'm looking for which has then led me to now explore the where i think i'll end up getting it getting this kind of level the sports watch is the vintage uh vintage rolexes you know uh, i want to try if you were the, offered a love a panda yeah. for list yeah would you get it what well, but but i mean anybody would get it if they can flip it right oh, that's true okay if you have if you got if you could get one for list and the thing is you you cannot sell it you have to wear it would you get it no i wouldn't mm. if i have got it at list and i can't sell it so essentially i've got to keep it right yeah so it's got yeah. to be in my collection then I wouldn't keep it because I. You wouldn't get it. I prefer that. Yeah, I prefer like the vintage Daytonas. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And if I had a vintage Daytona in my collection, I'll tell you the the, the panda would never ever get a wear. 
<laughs> if we just never get aware, we'd never go towards it. Uh, and, you know, that was actually like, I guess part of my journey was, you know, again, you were a big factor because you lent me the uh, 6239 for I don't know how long. I think it was about a week, right? I was wearing that and I thought, fucking hell. You must have had the same feeling, right? When you wear it, you're like, fucking hell, I get it now. <laughs> I fucking get this shit now. And and you were wearing oh, it on a strap. Amazing. I think you you would have liked it on a on the bracelet. No, I think it would. I think I would have liked it equally, but the feeling would have been different. Mm. Um, so I'd love to get one of those. I've been looking at the the Submariners, uh, vintage ones. Um. I'm thinking maybe, maybe not. I need to try it on again to see how it, I feel with it. Uh, mm. But yeah, sports watch. I'll definitely go to the King Rolex uh, for that. And there was another piece. Um, I actually got a dude messaging me um, for the shout out for his piece because he's got one. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's the Omega, right? The twenty nine fifteen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Dash probably two. Uh, he's got one, and. He loves it. Yeah. Do you know what? I think I wouldn't mind having a go at that. <laughs> Iconic sports watch of the 20th century. You know. Yeah, me neither. It's yeah, a people great say, watch. I mean, it's great size. Yeah. I love the broad arrow, personally. I know it's like a bit controversial, but I do like it. Uh, I've actually, I actually always like the reissue of it, right? But reissues just never hit the spot they just never hit the spot right that or, you could get very easily but yeah for sure of course vintage for you yeah you need the original yeah so in a way one could argue wearing the reissue is kind of like wearing a fake well no i wouldn't say it like that it was just no, like it's kind of like a verified fake you know isn't it like well, when how, i say okay, that i bet much... people know what i'm talking about how much is the price difference? All right. Let me put it this way. The Cartier crash. Yeah. There's another crash out there. It's done by Churchill, isn't there? Mm. You know that. All right. Mm. Would you feel the same way? <laughs> no, but I feel like that's more extreme. It's not <laughs> even a Cartier at this point. Okay. Okay. Um, fair. So fair. how much is the price difference between the reissue and the original? Huge, absolutely huge. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. At least, like, the the reissue is below a hundred k Hong Kong. Mm. Right, two nine one five. It's a rare watch. Yeah, so one two. I think one two three four. Uh. And, you know, ones in great condition are just basically like moon dust, like through the roof, uh, price-wise. It's probably like, what, 15, 20 times more than the reissue? And then Dash 2 is a bit cheaper, probably like 10 times more for a good condition one. So, yeah, I, I look forward to, you know, trying that one on, you know? Yeah. 2915, so I feel like... You've never been into them, okay, have you? Here's a, 
I've never been. I because I think it, for me it's it looks too masculine of a Yeah. watch. Um Yeah, it's but masculine, really masculine, yeah. it, it's very masculine and I I I just perform prefer more dainty pieces even for vintage. Um but I was thinking like what about an Ed White or Like, do you have to have the one that went to the moon? moon? No, Or because the can you have, like, the a 2915 later? didn't go to the moon. Uh, did it? I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know. Wh was, which one was the one that went So, to the moon? so, so the 2915, right, is the one with the stainless steel bezel. So it hadn't Yeah. even become the black bezel. And they changed the black bezel to make it more, um, more, what's it called? More, more, more legible. Right. Yeah. So if you look at modern day, um, modern day moon watch, yeah, it's actually not that much different to that. The thing with the two nine one five, the lugs are straight; they're not twisted. The bracelets different. Yeah, the 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 subs the subs the sub dial hand is different. Bezels different
the original has light crystal yeah so that's why we got it and it's not the best watch story it's probably why i didn't like it i mean that definitely did add to it but there's a whole thing about the Speedmaster at that point in my collection where it's a strap monster. I thought that would lead to it being like versatile. It was a bracelet, had the history, everything's around you saying you can't go wrong with the Speedmaster. Well, I think you can. We are um, spoiled little brats. You know, people are going to think that of us once <laughs> they listen to this whole conversation. Uh... You know, I sometimes have to remind myself of like this because I am in this small world of watches that most most people in the world absolutely don't give a absolute zero fuck about. Let's be honest. Exactly. And uh, it's not exactly like we're we're changing the world here either. So it's nothing significant like that. Um, and I realized that I spent quite a significant amount of money on a Movado, right? A certain Movado. <laughs> you know, you could get most like modern Rolexes for that kind of money. And it's just a vintage Movado that nobody knows about, right? And I just thought, you know what? I've just put down some serious cash on the Movado, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, to me, but I was like, one. yeah, true. At the time, yeah, I was like, oh, you know, it's not that much. <laughs> it's not that much. <laughs> and I was like, actually, it is a bit, you know, like it is actually quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Find me another one. And uh I guess that's part of it, yeah. I think um I think that's the question that I, I always ask myself is uh when you have the opportunity to buy something, are you gonna find another one? I okay well this is public service announcement I guess I I could say this because I I really need to make one PSA for whoever's listening who's based in New York because I did feel like that once at the show and it was looking at a watch and asking myself when's the next time I'm going to see it and um, I'm not going to say what it, what it is because, I mean, it, it's, it's without the point. It really doesn't matter. The PSA is about the dealer. And this is my second time in the show. If people ever go, don't ever wear a watch when you're at the show because the dealers will look at you and look at what you're wearing, fancy jewelry, and they'll name different prices. I was warned going in, I didn't believe it was standard practice until I was at this one dealer's booth and I asked about a watch. The first day, he quoted me 25000 US. I looped it and I went back to him and I said, okay, what is the best price on it? And he said, 35,000. This was about maybe like tw uh, two minutes after I he told me 25,000. I said, what? you just said 25, two minutes ago. And you know what he said? I couldn't even make this up. He said, oh, you heard that. You were listening. And I laughed 
because I thought it was a joke. But at the same time, I was like, uh, haha, not very funny. Like, you probably did do that uh, on purpose. So that night, I, I didn't buy it. That night, I was trying to research more about the watch. I ended up finding on his website. Listed for 19. And I found the same watch on his eBay store listed for 22. So plus eBay commission or whatever. I'm like, all right. Uh he uh outquoted, like overquoted me. Second day I go back, he sees me walking to the booth, and I he takes out the watch. I look at it again. I said, okay. What is the best price you could do for it? I know you said 25 yesterday. He said, that's the best price, you know, done. I said, well, but you um, you have it on your website for 19. And on eBay, you have it for 22. And he starts, I said, no, I don't. I bought it for 32. I could show it to you. I said, no, I sorry. I don't doubt that you bought it for whatever you paid. But I just, I'm telling you factually, go check it out on your website. It's listed for 19 and on eBay on 22. So why are you quoting me 25? Oh, my employee made a mistake. I don't know who did it. So uh. then I very courteously, I said, oh, interesting. Well, I'm glad I caught it for you. Here, take the watch back. Um, And it was a vintage watch. And I was like, yeah, I probably couldn't have found another one because these were very early but just you know when you meet people like that no matter how good the watch is you don't want it. yeah that was actually my question you know what's can you, the question can you separate that ex can you separate that experience from wanting to own a watch i think if this were two years ago when I was stuck in Canada during COVID and um, I was traveling like, and I saw this watch and I think I would have bought it regardless. Um, but, but, but I mean, but depending on the price, right? Not 35, but if I really liked it, yeah, I probably could have bought it for 25 and forgot about this whole experience. But I think since then we've been, lucky to meet actual you know there are mean people in the industry but there are a ton of good people also and the dealers and respectful dealers and after meeting those people and you look and you compare them with uh this dealer from the miami booth even if it were and it's not it wasn't like an outstanding watch either it was just it was nice but um i couldn't overlook it no you know, there's a guy that um, you mentioned to me that really wants to get my Movado, right, in steel. And, um, you know, I love that piece, especially I've given it some new wheels, i.e. a new strap, right? And it's just given it a new lease of life. I just freaking love it. It's, it's become like my daily right now. And, um, you know, I get a lot of inquiries about that watch that I don't really post it anymore. <laughs> right. And uh, I always think, you know what? Like, where am I going to find anything like this again? You know, 
when is it going to even come? I'm going to end up having to buy it back, you know, at one point if I want to get it back. And is the guy going to sell it back to me? You know, forget the same price. You know, you'd be reliant to pay more, but will he ever even sell it back to me? And what if it goes to the next person and the next person? And eventually I'm going to lose track of where the watch is. But I just know it's like, well, am I going to see it? Because I've never, ever, ever, ever seen a watch like that before, ever. Yeah. And I've been collecting for long enough. So that's always on my mind. Did do, do you, does that prevent you from selling watches, Jack? Like that topic alone? that factor alone, even when you've kind of like a little bit moved off the watch. A hundred percent. Um, Because you know that for some watches, you're just simply, if it gets switched, uh, well, first of all, when I do sell, I try to sell to people I know. So you do have a record of where your watch is. But you know where it is. But you can't control what they do, um, and if it gets if it switches hands once, twice, it's definitely lost. So three uh, times a lady. Yeah, forget about it. Um, so definitely, I I know how much my friend loves the Movado, and I, you know, I've brought it up to you twice now. And I said, yeah. you please sell it to flat no. Yeah, but I, I also know that you're probably not going to be able to find another one anytime soon. So it's a big consideration. It's a big factor to consider. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think we've uh, reached time on the podcast. It's been a long time since we've had a podcast like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe if we'll do it again. Let us know. No, for sure, for sure. Um, we'll do something similar to this where it's just very easy chatting. Uh I'll end up saying, you know, if if people are interested in um the Miami antique show, if you're in the area, definitely check it out next year. I had a good experience both years. Um and met a ton of great people. Um, uh, but when you're going through these shows, just be mindful and, and careful and do your research. Uh, because all of the dealers that go there and exhibitors, you know, they have um, some sort of website, even if it's outdated. But um, do your research and uh, stay away from scammy people. Okay. On that note, cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the episode. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.